Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 11th. Recording this podcast on the road, super producer Daniel Westoff, not only on the ones and twos, but on the wheel as well, sitting to my left as we head from our ITA Division I Women's National Indoor Championship coverage directly to our next event, Crack Rackets. So excited to announce our media partnership this week with the inaugural Kentucky Open. That's going to be a WTA 100K event this week happening in beautiful Nicholasville, Kentucky. Players such as CeCe Bellis, uh, Ann Lee, Robin Anderson, Madison Brangle, Katie McNally, so many up-and-coming talents going to be in action this week. So we're excited to be bringing you content from there all weekend long. Before we get to that, I want to say that the reason we're able to bring you this sort of content due to our friends at Diadem Tennis, you know this by now, Diadem, on the forefront of all string and racket technology uh, innovations going on right now in the game of professional players such as Sekou Bangora, Carousel, trusting their games to it. And if it's good enough for the pros, it's good enough for you. And we would never ask you to make such a personal decision like this. What racket you play with so important to your confidence on the court if we weren't so sure that our friends at Diadem will be doing you right uh, with their products. And look, if you use our promo code CR50, it's it's not even that much pressure for you. 50% off your order to try out a new racket that will bring out the best of your game. It sounds like a done deal to me, so lock that in. Go to their website now. Place that order. You get 50% off each and every time you order from Diadem, and you're going to love their strings and rackets so much. You're going to be like, oh, I need three for me, my son, my daughter, switching immediately so that we're going to be able to see and get them to college tennis at some point. That will be the sort of decision that will pay off in the long term, so be sure to go check out their stuff, our friends at Diadem Tennis. Speaking of college tennis, our current college tennis scene, particularly the state of the Division One women's game, so strong. Uh, after this weekend of play, I'm more convinced now that ever that the quality of college tennis better than it's ever been before i mean so many great teams showed off what they are capable of this weekend 16 of the top programs in the country coming for the inaugural national championship event of this 2020 dual match season hosted at the beautiful access tennis village in chicago can't emphasize enough how much that facility shined through throughout the duration of this event only place in the world where you have 12 courts back to 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 back Hopefully I made 12 times there, but that's that's such an impressive facility. And then they've got the outdoor courts as well. Uh, obviously, it's snowing as we were there in February, but you can just see uh, why these courts in Chicago, why this XS tennis facility 
uh, continues to bring a claim for itself. And we had the chance to speak with XS director Rennell Perry. Uh, you'll be able to see that interview on our YouTube feed, I'm sure, on social media as well. She talked about that XS tennis program. And I wanted to start with it because, seriously, what they are doing, it's not just about the quality of tennis player they're developing. Kamal Murray, head coach of Sloan Stevens, based out of the facility, the amount of talent uh, that comes through the place, truly remarkable. But it's what they're doing for that Chicago tennis community, using tennis as a way to facilitate uh, not just you know discipline, hard work, what it takes to be a successful tennis player, but after-school programs, making sure players uh, who come to train there, no matter what their financial background is, can guarantee themselves a place where they can come and play tennis, enjoy that craft, not only get to play sports, but these excess tennis facilities providing meals to so many of these players who come to their after-school programs, to their summer uh, programs as well. So please go check out their website if you can. Give a donation to them. I know we've been asking for a lot here at Cracked Rackets, but this is the sort of cause that brings the exact sort of attention we need to our sport, shows what tennis can do uh, in the community. You know, it's not just the product that we all enjoy, but it's such a personally enriching experience, so personally empowering because it is an individual sport. So please go give that interview uh, a listen and shout out to our lovely hosts and Rennell Perry for all they are doing at the XS Tennis Village. That being said, it was Championship Monday. All the marbles on the table. This is what we're showing up for. In my opinion, and we've talked about it all weekend long on this mini-break podcast, we got the two best teams in the country. Number two-seeded UNC, bringing back five of six starters from last year's team, bringing in, uh, I think, four of the top top ten players in the country, if you include McKenna Jones, who reached as high as number one last season, playing number one for the Tar Heels. She lines up at number five for them, but that senior trio, McKenna Jones, and then the one and two singles player this year, Alexa Graham, who I believe is number seven in the country, Sarah Davitella, the number four player in the country. I mean, this UNC roster is loaded, and they played what was the other best team here this week in UCLA. UCLA had yet to drop a point, not only this weekend, uh, but through the entire season, the strength of their top three, Alicia Bolton, uh, freshman sensation Abby Forbes, and then redshirt senior Jada Hart, who played number one singles for them last year. That top three was doing a bunch of the heavy lifting in all of their matches, two wins at least from those three positions. They had also taken the doubles point. I mean, they'd taken the doubles point everything. Again, they hadn't dropped the point, and I said it on yesterday today's preview podcast the doubles point was going to prove critical and it did I thought Hart and Bolton this being their second year together they're the number two team in the country I believe Davitel and Graham the number six team in the country for UNC gave the slight edge to the UCLA team I just thought Bolton uh, and Jada Hart a little more firepower a little bit more willing to come to the net Graham and Davitella want to play two up but they're also plenty happy playing one up, one back. Davitel and Graham both so proficient with the lobs, the slices, the low dips, all of the different things they can do at the baseline. And it was Bold and Hart who were control the entire time at that number one position. They take a 6-2 victory for the Bruins. But it was the Tar Heels at the bottom of the lineup, and that's a consistent theme in this final. Coach uh, Brian Kalbas, who we got the chance to speak with after the match, uh, made a lineup change coming into today's match. Mora and Scotty, I think 6-0 winners in both of their first, in all three, maybe, of their first three matches. Certainly, uh, they got wins throughout the week uh, as a doubles duel. Moved up to the number two position 
Meanwhile, the senior-junior duo of McKenna Jones, Ali Sanford, bumped down to number three. That proves particularly relevant because Coach Calvis making the exact correct decision. Mora and Scotty continuing their play, dominating Abby Forbes and Annette Gulak 6-2 at the two, single, at two doubles position. That meant it all came down to the number three position where the Tower Heels were down an early break, but... Quickly thereafter, Sanford and Jones flipped the script. They led by a break throughout, I would say, the majority of the set. And in fact, they served for it up 5-4. It was uh, Ali Sanford, number 36, I think, singles player in the country. The junior serving for the match against uh, junior Abby Altick and sophomore Taylor Johnson, who had had a great week themselves, had yet to take a loss either. They're only non-finished. They were up 5-2 in the semis against Stanford. And look... It's an national final. You know what to expect. There are going to be nerves, and that's what we saw. Three double faults in a row from Sanford to start that game to get to Love 40 now. What was amazing is what happened after that. One long rally that ended with a Jones put away. Two easy serve plus a McKenna Jones volley put away at the net. Got us to a deuce point. Missed first serve from Ali Sanford, and then the second serve clipping the net tape landing long just like that we were back on serve and it did feel like for a moment because the Tar Heels had taken two doubles first then one doubles came off for the Bruins that momentum was slowly shifting towards the Bruins and you thought to yourself okay if the Bruins get the doubles point here the recipe for an upset is on but McKenna Jones showing why she's a senior leader for these Tar Heels leading the way her and Sanford they get the break back Four six five and Jones plays a rock-solid game. I think she goes 3-for-5 in that game on first serves. I believe they held at 15. 7-5 set to the Tar Heels despite the drama. They, you know, they blink, as Coach Kalpa said, but they get away with it, taking that 7-5 decision, taking that 1-0 doubles point lead. And from there, the question was, given the Tar Heels' depth, would it be possible for UCLA to even find four first sets in singles? And the answer, no. It was all Tar Heels come the singles play. They end up taking, I believe, five of six first sets. They lose a quick first set at three singles for, from Jada Hart, uh, U, uh, the UCLA former one singles player, over Cam Mora. And again, in the projections, I think by UTR, that was the closest matchup. Mora, a .02 favorite. But Jada Hart has been rock solid, and I mean, she's a veteran t- as well, so not shocking to see her take the set. But it was McKenna Jones again, the senior leader, been so good at the bottom of the lineup. It's almost unfair that they have a player of her quality at five. Reminds you of those mid-2010s Virginia team. I mean, if you tell me who's going to have a c- higher career-high singles ranking when all is said is done, McKenna Jones or J.C. Aragoni, that's a heck, you know, a heck of a question. Really can't answer that one because McKenna Jones is so talented, and she immediately, or not immediately, but within that first you know hour, hour ten, gets point number two on the board for the Tar Heels, six oh six two over Annette Gulak, and from there. It was a lot of scoreboard watching because five first sets to the heels, the last two of which from Alexa Graham and Sarah Davitella are come from behind. Graham and Alicia Bolton on court one trading breaks multiple times throughout that first set. Ultimately, it's Graham who goes down a mini break 4-2, racing back to take the next five points, 7-4 breaker for the Tar Heels there, and that really did feel like the nail in the coffin because Sarah Davitella, after playing, I think they played, 
let's see, it was a tw- it was a twelve game first set. I I really do think there were six games that featured deuce points. Davitella races all the way back from three five down on a break point deuce point set point. Uh, hits just this shoestring gorgeous drop forehand volley uh, to take the first set from freshman sensation Abby Forbes seven five and. Look, when you have a top three as talented as the Tar Heels, you're never out of a match. And it really did feel like in Hart, in Forbes, those matches far from over. Even Alicia Bolton uh, felt like she could claw back. And she did from a breakdown to tie things up for a moment uh, in or to get back on serve for 2-3 in that second set. But again, the Tar Heels just too strong. Elizabeth Scotty at four singles, one of the later first sets to finish. She takes a late break for a 6-4 win there and then runs away with that second set 6-1 that's point number three for the Tar Heels but again split sets at two and three positions close set through set one and then there's court number six where Sasha Vagramov for the Bruins had clinched all three of their matches here at this national indoors uh Ali Sanford losing her first two matches however she did win in the semifinals against Duke uh, and you wonder for Allie Sanford, given that she had the chance to serve out the doubles the way that transpired, would that affect her? Well, no, it didn't in the first set. She went up 6-2. She also went up 5-2 in the second, served for that match twice. And perhaps this is something, if you're Coach Kalbas, just to keep an eye on. Allie Sanford broken multiple times serving for the match. Three, All three times she served for matches today, she was broken. If there's anything you circle to work on to improve a hole, it's not even that it's a hole because she got to match points in each of those, or not match points, but had the match on her racket on multiple occasions. Net benefit, certainly, to the Tar Heels. Uh, but Vagramov kept clawing her way back. She took a medical timeout, 5-all, 30-15. Um, ultimately, that second set not finished. Sanford leaving, leading 5-2 in the breaker. But UCLA stayed alive at the six singles position. The question was, uh, would any of the top three for the Tar Heels be able to get the job done in straight sets? And it was Alexa Graham, a player who we've enjoyed seeing all week on our broadcast court. Got to call all four of the matches she played. She ends her week 2-1-1 one, one, uh, after she gets wins in the quarterfinals. And here against Alicia Bolton, 7-6-6-3. I mean, I'm not going to do my Alexa Graham impression, but her uh, cheering certainly left a number on me. I mean, the energy she plays with, she's a senior leader at the top of her lineup. At one point, she got broken by Bolton, but Sarah Davitella had unleashed a beautiful passing shot to get a break back against Abby Forbes. And you see uh, Alexa Graham jumping with a fist pump on our racket going over to give Davitella a high five. That's how much she cares, you know, about that team environment, about her teammates succeeding. It was special. And to be honest, that's the theme for this UNC team, that they knocked off this UCLA team 4-0 in the finals. I mean, keep that in mind. Way closer than a 4-0 scoreline. And we talked to Coach Calvis after the match immediately. If you want to go check that interview out again on our YouTube channel uh, at Cracked Rackets or just go search Cracked Rackets in the YouTube search feed. And you'll be able, I'm sure, to find that at some point today. And he talked about it. It's going to be way clo- it was way closer than that 4-0 score. And you imagine if you're Coach Calbus, you you very likely could see these Bruins again later in the year. Certainly, come NCAA tournament time in May. Uh, but your this Tar Heel team loaded, and they have a ranked player on their roster who's not even playing in singles. So many options at the bottom. You you have to wonder how long you can keep a player as talented as McKenna Jones at number five. I mean, she's going to keep working her way forward and forward. But that the Tar Heels have so many options, the depth. 
can't emphasize this enough. It really doesn't matter who lines up where. Everyone at every spot should be considered a favorite for this Tar Heel squad uh, because they're the national champions for the reason. They were the best team all weekend long. They didn't lose more than a single point in any of the duels, although they did come close uh, in their first one to a 4-2 match with Arizona State. But they're solid in doubles, solid at, you know, as good of a top three as anyone. Uh, and then it's, it's just it's really, really good. Because it's just a really good performance uh, from these Tar Heels. Now, if you're the UCLA Bruins, uh, you know, very young team uh, in terms of the Bruins right now. Abby Forbes, Alicia Bolton, both underclassmen, uh, you know, in Altic, Gulick, and Hart. They have juniors and seniors, but Sasha Vagramov at the bottom of the lineup, also a freshman. They've got the talent to hang, certainly even in their own conference for UCLA. So many of their problems start with Stanford, that they beat Stanford this early in the season. Speaks to the talent on this roster, and we, caught, we talked to Coach Stella uh, Sampras-Webster as well, which you can go see on YouTube, and she talked about how she believes this season is her time for her Bruins program. Uh, so a great result for them, but ultimately I do think we saw the best team win this weekend, and hopefully we get the same level of play as well in Madison next weekend for for the men because uh, that's going to be a sensational uh, tournament as well. And I know our Cracked Rackets team is so excited, so grateful to our friends at the ITA, at Playsite, Oracle, UTR, uh, Wilson, for all of their help in our coverage this weekend in particular. Uh, you know, I, as a lifelong college tennis fan, I'd have been watching this event no matter what. So to get the opportunity to do the play-by-play, a dream come true. Thank you to everyone in particular, Cody. Uh, Caroline, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget people, Corey, uh, I, I forget the guy from Playside Westoff, if you have any suggestions here, Josh Westoff tells me in the background as well, uh, just to everyone uh, who helped and we're so thankful, to anyone who came up to our Crack Rackets booth throughout the weekend, there were way more than we expected saying, hey, you're the Crack Rackets guys, or you know, we really appreciate your coverage this weekend, it's been fun to listen to, or just lingering around the booth because they enjoy the play-by-play commentary, uh, that sort of affirmation means the world to us here at Crack Rackets. Anyone who reached out with a DM or you know liked or retweeted any of the comments, seriously, we do this for you fans, so to know that you all enjoyed it made the entire experience worth it, so thank you to everyone who played a role in this weekend. It was a sensational event. I do want to leave you with just a couple of final thoughts before uh, we get to our conversation with Nina Pantich of Tennis.com, uh, one of our fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network podcasters, uh, and that's just about where we're at because it's the top six teams in the sixteen teams in the country. We can take some takeaways, in particular, you know, the race now for the regular season, not only conference implications, but come NCAA tournament time, the difference between being a top eight seed and a top sixteen seed means more than ever. Given that those top eight seeds host round of sixteen matches, just want to let you know where I'm at with my tiers thus far, and I think UNC in particular has separated itself from everyone they're probably in a cut of its own but in terms of top you know locks I put UNC and UCLA in the same tier there's no way they're not going to be top eight seeds in fact I'm fairly certain you're looking at our number one and number two seeds come NCAA tournament time from there in terms of locks for the top eight seeds I have four other teams who I thought really distinguished themselves and given their conferences just given the wins they've accumulated thus far the talent depth on their lineup their pedigree as programs would shock me to see if they're not top eight seeds alongside of UNC and UCLA you know Stanford Duke are semifinalists you know they're going to be top eight seeds until proven otherwise 
But two teams, you know, Georgia, you throw in there as well. They lost, I think, twice last year in total. They were the national indoor champions last year as well, bringing back, I think, four of six starters. Katarina Jokic took two losses this weekend, but when you bring back a almost prohibitive number one player in the country from last season, your team always a threat to do things come May. Uh, but the other team I would throw in there, maybe the surprise of the weekend, the Wolfpack of NC State, Alana Smith, uh, I'm, Anna Rogers, their top three all ranked in the top 50 as well. Uh, but those two in particular, the number one doubles team in the country, they have two top 30 doubles teams in their lineup. They looked really good, and they looked great yesterday knocking off Georgia. I talked about that in yesterday's podcast. They looked really good in their battle with North Carolina as well. I know North Carolina ended up winning that one uh, 4-1, and I know the doubles was a little lopsided, but a lot of those singles matches closer than the scoreline reveals. So I think NC State has separated themselves. I think they're going to be right up there in the thick of things with Duke in competing with UNC for that ACC title. I would put UNC a class above both of those teams, but I do think NC State-Duke going to be a really fun dual match with potential huge top eight seeding implications. Hard to imagine a team getting three top eight seeds, or a conference getting three top eight seeds. Uh, but it really could happen in the ACC this year. And to be honest, they could get more than three because my tier three schools, think teams that I think will be in the fight for a top eight seed, Princeton. Maybe the Cinderella of this story. They go 2-1 and one this weekend. Uh, they look dominant in their 4-0 win today over Pepperdine. They take the, or yesterday over Pepperdine, they took the doubles point. They got a win over Ashley Leahy at one from their one player, Brianna Schwetz. Uh, this Princeton team, it's an Ivy League team, right? So it's never going to be as flashy as some of these Power 5 conferences in terms of getting ranked wins, boosting their rankings points this weekend. More important for them than maybe anyone else because they're just not going to have that many opportunities to play top-ranked teams week in, week out throughout the season. Uh, but they belong in the fight for a top-8 team. Their depth, their efficiency in doubles, they're a real threat to do some damage come NCAA time, certainly to make that final NCAA site in Oklahoma later in the year. I would throw Texas in there as well. The Tarotis up top, uh, the Twins at one and two singles and one doubles. Their depth, the fact that I think right now they're the favorite to win that Big 12 conference. Uh, all those things matter in terms of competing for a top eight seed, and I think Texas is well positioned. They beat Ohio State 4-3. I'd put Ohio State in this tier right alongside of Michigan. You know, One of those teams certainly going to win the Big 10. I think they both a little more oomph at the top of their lineup, better at doubles than the Illinois fighting line. We saw this weekend, and you imagine the Big Ten winner will probably end up capturing one of those top eight seeds as long as them, uh, those three schools, don't beat one another up too much during the regular season. Two more ACC schools to throw in as well. Florida State, Georgia Tech, both getting wins this weekend. Florida State beating Georgia Tech yesterday, uh, but that top five in the ACC, rock solid, and you know, ACC had six teams here this week as well. If you throw in Virginia, uh, I don't have Virginia in this tier. I also don't have Arizona State in Illinois. I think they are going to compete for top 16 seeds, certainly, but this tier three I have as locks for top 16 seeds, competing for top eight seeds, threatening uh, you know, those top two, uh, top five programs in the country. Michigan, 4-3 loss to Stanford, 4-3 loss to Ohio State. I think they showed their right there. Uh, Ohio State, Texas, Princeton, Georgia Tech, Florida State. The last one I would throw in the top eight and not the top 16 range is probably Pepperdine. I know this was a worst-case scenario weekend for them, but let's keep in mind, A, a school from Malibu, not going to play indoors that often, and B, 
when you have the number one player in the country, Ashley Leahy, at the top of your lineup, when you're struggling in doubles, something that you every team improves on more and more and more as the season progresses, it's the right sort of problems to have. I think the talent on the roster is there for Pepperdine. It's just the execution this weekend that was not. So I still think they're in the fight for a top eight seed, but not on the tier of Stanford, Duke, NC State, Georgia, maybe like they expect it to be, at least not right now. Uh, but then Virginia, great doubles, loves freshman Natasha Subash. I just think that ACC too good. They're going to get beat up a couple of times, taking loss. It's going to be hard for them to get into the top eight. Uh, Arizona State, Illinois, same thing. Arizona, you're competing with Cal and USC and then obviously the top two in UCLA and Stanford things just tough for you in the Pac-12 Illinois I just don't think have the top end talent that the Michigans and Ohio States in their conference do Uh, but it's a really fun year of college tennis all these teams so good and it was a fantastic first event on the season again shout out to anyone uh, who took the time to come say hello shout out to all these teammates these coaches who are so kind and thoughtful and willing to speak with us throughout the time so open about it all uh, it made our experience in the media so easy when you're dealing with players who are easygoing and receptive to uh, the try the type of work you're trying to do so thank you again to everyone there uh, but it's time to switch gears for us the men's indoors coming up later in the week we will be doing our GSP preview of that event as well as our mini breaks recapping uh, the past week of men's action because you know Ohio State knocking off number one USC Michigan 4-3 thriller over Columbia. A lot of fun men's content and stuff to prepare for as we get ready for their inaugural national championship weekend. But for now, we're switching gear here at Crack Dragons. A little bit of pro tennis coming up for you these next couple of days. As I mentioned, we are in beautiful Nicholasville, Kentucky this week for the inaugural Kentucky Open. Going to be excited uh, to cover that event and to get you all ready. We have a brilliant conversation coming uh, coming up with the lovely Nina Pantich, senior content editor, podcaster of the Tennis.com, host, I should say, of the Tennis.com podcast, a fellow Tennis Channel Network podcast, uh, Tennis Channel Podcast Network podcaster. Uh, And so without further ado, she was in Midland this week. She got to see a lot of the same players we're about to see uh, at our event, so I thought she would provide great, great perspective. Let's get to that now, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy my conversation with Nina Pantich. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the Mini Break Podcast, one of our fellow Hello, podcasters on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You'll recognize her work as a senior editor and, of course, podcast host of the Tennis.com podcast. Nina Pantich, welcome back to the mini break. It is great to be back, Alex. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. I know you were gone this weekend in my home state of Michigan. Glad, at, right as I leave, someone could be there to cover the tennis. Uh, and that's what I want to talk to you about today, our Crack Rackets crew en route to the Lexington 100K. Uh, I know there are a lot of overlaps between the players playing the two events. And before we get to anything else, I'm curious, how was your experience out in Midland? Oh, it was amazing. I've never been, but I've heard so many good things about this tournament. 
And I know it's an ITF, but it's a huge ITF. And it was it was honestly an amazing experience. The community is such a, I know it kind of sounds maybe a little bit soft, but the community is so into tennis there. And there was such big crowds. It's indoor tennis. It's in the middle of Michigan, kind of in the middle of nowhere, in the dead heart of winter. And it's snowing outside and there's all these players coming over and over again and I was like what is this all about and now I know what it's all about Midland is awesome so many people are so into tennis they can't really play tennis from what I understand but they are into it <laughs> well I'll say this my uh, high school team 4-0 all four times we went over and played Midland and yeah that tennis center uh, I think it used to be called the Dow Tennis Center not sure sure if it still is but it's massive I mean in the summer in the fall when you can play outdoors I think there's 16 outdoor courts maybe 12 uh, but then you look indoors as well it really was built for an event such as this and you talk about that already built in tennis community in Midland you've had the chance uh, to travel to I'm sure many tournaments over the course of your career uh, how does that Midland crowd compare Compared to your standard, you know, women's 100K crowd, men's challenger crowd, because from the photos, it really does look like almost the standout feature of the event. Oh, it is. It's absolutely packed. I mean, hundreds of people are coming in. The stadium is full, uh, especially at night. The day sessions, not so much because people are working at Dow um, or they're in school. But it, it was it was different than any other tournament I've ever been to for that level. I mean, I've played in challengers. I know what it's like to have five people in the stands, including your mom. So it, it's definitely a unique and very loud, very excited crowd. And they also put in a lot of other work. There's, you know, there's food and dining. They come to to have some drinks beforehand, entertainment. There's a pre-show. There's a halftime show. There's mascot races. There's concerts. There's And the food is great, obviously. That's a big draw. But, I mean, honestly, the player field was strong. The matches were all strong. It was It was such a good experience to be there for it. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very jealous. I, I lived in Michigan all that time. I have made my way over to Midland for the event before. I'm glad that someone from the Tennis Channel Podcast Network could be there. You talk about the tennis. I mean, we had the number one seed go down on day one in Madison Brangle. We had a ton of you know fantastic results, most notably Shelby Rogers, the sixth seed, gets the win after Kalanina, uh, Kalanina withdraws in the final. Uh, so n- nothing to really talk about from that final match. But can you talk a little bit about what you saw from Shelby Rogers this week from Kalanina on their routes to the finals? Yeah, of course. Madison losing first round was a little bit of a surprise, but she played against this player from Texas Tech, Gabriella Talaba, who is an incredible game. Uh, she has a one-handed backhand. She's a lefty. She's so creative, such an in- innovative player. So, I mean, it was a surprise, but a girl really took it to Madison. And Madison just won Newport, so I think she was a little tired. But Shelby came out firing. I mean, she didn't drop a set. All week long, she was comfortable in the court. She was moving well. She was aggressive. It's indoor tennis, right? So if you're aggressive, it's going to pay off big time. And I'm, I kind of thought she was one of the favorites right away because this is a player who has been top 50. I know so is Madison Brangle, but she was coming in a bit fresh, uh, Shelby was. And then Angelina Kalanina, to me, came out of nowhere, but she was playing same thing, aggressive tennis. And when you're indoors, that's going to work for you better than if you're, if you're a bit more defensive. I think the surprise for me was a little bit, you know, my, my, my podcast co-host, Arena Falcone, 
does not love fast indoor tennis, but these courts were resurfaced last year, and I think that helped her get a little bit more time to do her slices and her drop shots and her lobs to make the semifinals. I mean, huge week for her. And then the final, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I was the host of the stadium, so I was the person that had to tell this crowd, this huge crowd, the biggest crowd we had all week, and the plan was that I would go out there with the tournament director, who would say nothing, and I would say, hey, guys, we have some unfortunate news. And then Anne Helena was going to come on court and say what the news was. And she comes out and explains that she's, you know, not going to play, but she's she doesn't say what's, she doesn't say that she's injured. She doesn't say anything. She just says, like, she's not going to play, and she's really sad and really thankful for the tournament. And I was like, everyone's going to want to know, like, what happened, like, what's the injury? But it's up to her to, you know, to say what she wants to say. And it was it was one of the most awkward things I've ever been a part of. <laughs> so what did you that's the moment where you say hey arena i'm calling in a podcast favor uh you got this one it was it was so yeah it was so so awkward and everyone's like <laughs> looking at me and i'm standing there and all of a sudden the awards trophy presentation like they're making the stage they pull the stage out as i'm talking and i'm like oh no no one knows what's happening the stage is being built behind me it's all on, I think it was on Tennis Channel Plus. I think it's all, you can see it all on, unfold in front of your very eyes. <laughs> well, I'll have to go back and check that replay. Uh, you talk about Kalanina, who with this week's results, she's back up to number 135 in the live rankings. The 23-year-old uh, career high still outside the top 100 of 107, but she's working her way up. She is uh, signed up right now for our event next week in Lexington, or I suppose this week in Lexington. Uh, and the player she beat in the semifinals, the number two seed in Midland, Katie McNally, uh, by a score of 2.66364. Another player uh, I know we're excited to see this week as well. In that battle between the two youngins, uh, that three set battle, you know, what, uh, if you can remember over the score, you know, you watch so many events, but what was it that Kalanina did well for Katie McNally, who's coming off? of a successful start to her 2020 season uh you know do you think we should expect a deep run from her this week in lexington i think i would be surprised if Kalina plays because it ended up being a right toe injury which i think may have been something to do with a blister i'm not entirely sure what was happening there but she couldn't she wasn't wearing a shoe when she came on court she was wearing one flip-flop and one shoe so i'd be shocked if she plays but i do want to talk about her for a second because about Kalanina because we did a 10-minute sit-down interview before her final uh, and talked to her. And what I got away from her from sitting with her was that she's so deathly serious about this sport. She's like, I'm, I, I told her, I go, you, you turned 23, did you celebrate your birthday on Friday? And she's like, no, I had a match. I'm really focused. I mean, you're never going to see this video because obviously she pulled out and so it died. But, I mean, this kid is so serious and she's so aware of how quickly seasons go and how quickly uh, her career can kind of slip away. So she's so focused, so deathly serious. That's one thing I noticed about her on court. I mean, she does not break a concentration for a second. And Katie McNally came in as defending champion first time in her career. We actually recorded a podcast with her. It's coming out next week. I'll give myself a little shameless plug. And she did a, I thought she did a great job of like handling the pressure of being a defending champion. She had a little bit of a blip in the fourth round. Uh, she lost the set there as well. So you could kind of see her game maybe wasn't where she wanted to be. She had a sleeve on her arm. Maybe I'm not sure what the issue there was, maybe like an elbow injury. Uh, but it just you could tell that she was a little bit more anxious than maybe she would be had she not been defending champion. You could tell that. She was expecting a lot from herself. We did an on-court interview after her fourth-round match. Uh, she played 
Jessica Ponchette. Ponche, I believe it's pronounced. She's from France. I'll take either. Yeah, this was her second round match, and she dropped the first set 7-5. And I come on court, and she wins 5-7, 6-1, And I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, it was a bit of a, a little bit of a, a little blip there, but she's all right. And Katie was really negative and really kind of down on herself and how she made things hard on herself, and she should have played better. should have executed her chances. And you could tell that she was had a little bit of that nervous energy, maybe. I don't know how else to describe it other than, you know, she's 18 years old, and lot of pressure to defend a big chunk of points but actually I think the points came off the week before the way the calendar runs but you, you still kind of feel it so I think if she's playing in Lexington this week which I believe she 100% is I think she's going to be going for it I think she's going to be a definite favorite because after you lose early and she was definitely disappointed in Midland she's going to want to kind of avenge that and do better and improve and when you take a loss you learn so much more than when you win and this kid is so dedicated and she has Kevin O'Neill in her corner who I love so I'm thinking Katie McNally, if that match happens, will score the win. Especially for Katie McNally that it's indoors, right? She's someone from Ohio, spent so much time growing up in those conditions. Her game you know, predicated on being aggressive, trying to move forward, hitting the big forehand. So you imagine indoor conditions that would play better for her. You talked about Arena Falcone, your podcast co-host, uh, making the semifinals. Three three-set wins for her along the way. She's also uh, lined up to be playing this week in Lexington, and I think those conditions are going to be such an important thing. Uh, for McNally, going from Australia, the heat there, uh, the dryness, all the different things to then have to transition so quickly to indoor tennis, I'm sure that played a factor for her. And I'm curious these indoor conditions was there any player who you know in the draw maybe it was a semi you know Jamie Loeb a semi-finalist here she was unseated uh she's I believe playing next week as or this week I keep saying next week because I'm still locked in my head in Chicago um but any players in particular who you think these indoor conditions suits that you know maybe made a deep run here you think can do it again in Lexington or maybe lost a three-set match that we should be looking out for this week in Lexington I mean, Katie McNally is definitely the big name. I thought Robin Anderson was showing a bit of of, of pretty good game, and she's unseated in Kentucky, so she had she had a decent a decent couple matches there in Midland. Caroline Dullahide is someone that made the quarterfinals in Midland or the made the second round. Now I think about it, I don't know. Irina beat her. I know that for for a fact. So Caroline has a huge serve. Huge ground strokes. You think indoor tennis would have really worked for her, but somehow Falcone comes through with the slices and the dices and throws her off and beats her to one six six one six one. That was nuts. Um, Whitney Osegway is also in this draw. Let me see, but someone from Midland, Yanina Wickmeyer, is unseated in Kentucky. Uh, that's somebody that was a former world number twelve. I mean, that is no joke. Also lost to Falcone. Man, Falcone, what a week for her. Uh, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a little biased, I will admit, but Irina a getting humble those, brag. But every single day when Irina came off the court, I was like, dude, I'm a little surprised by this. <laughs> just because, like, Caroline Dolhead and Yanina, Wick, Yanina Wickmeyer are just such big players, and you would think that it would work for them on the indoors. And Yanina came in and saved the day on the final day in Midland because we needed somebody to play an exhibition with Shelby. So she came in and played a, a great match, put on a show for all that big crowd I talked about that was expecting a... Uh, final but yeah I mean, I'm gonna go with yeah Yanina is definitely a dark horse Dola Hyde um and maybe even Robin Anderson I don't know I feel good about Robin Jamie Loeb is in qualifying in Lexington which is wild 
Yeah, that's crazy. I'm surprised she doesn't get a special exemption making the semis the week before. Apparently, you gotta make the final, from what I understand. That is crazy. Um, Won her first round qualifying match, 6-0, We sat down with Jamie also for a podcast episode and I talked to her quite a bit. And she, I mean, honestly, she's someone that's so easy to root for. So she was playing great tennis. And she's got Jermaine Jenkins in her corner. That's someone to watch out R for when you're in Lexington. Ah, all right. Good to know. Yeah, good to have a little tidbit. Again, that's what we were looking for today. And Jamie Loeb, the former NCAA singles champion, her UNC Tar Heels taking home the national indoors title today. So good feelings all around for the Tar Heels on the professional circuit as well. Uh, Robin Anderson, former UCLA All-American, her Bruins making the finals, losing to those Tar Heels. Perhaps it was a little sneak preview when Jamie Lope knocked out Robin Anderson in that second round in Midland. Uh, with the theme of college, there are a lot of college, former college tennis players, a lot of young Americans as well who may not have gone to college. want to ask you a little bit about them, the Francesco DiLorenzos and the... Uh, I'm trying to think who else in this draw went to college. The Robin Andersons of the world, the Jamie Loeb's, who got the chance to play college tennis. I think even uh, Maria Mateus as well, who got to play at Duke last year. Uh, how how did you see that group of player? You know that those groups of players perform. Were there any? Could you tell the players who have played indoors versus the ones who were struggling with those conditions? You couldn't so much just because I said like the, the courts were resurfaced. They are playing a little bit slower. But I think when you play in college tennis, you do play indoors quite a lot. And I think that does help because especially someone like Maria Mateus and Jamie Loeb, you know, the Mateus, Mateus is a little bit younger, but Jamie's only 24. So maybe the indoor tennis is still fresh in her mind. But I don't know. I think uh, Francesca DiLorenzo was also really impressive, but had a very bad second match. She was someone I thought was going to go really far. Um, but, again, I mean, she's young. So I think her and Katie McNally, our players, are going to learn from these losses and bounce back really quick. And then I think it's also really interesting when these players decide to leave college early, right? So then they've really taken a gamble to leave a school that has, you know, put money into them and scholarships and all that. And you got to really, really, really want it and know what you're doing to then turn pro early. I think that gives them further a little bit more fire in their in their bellies to prove it, prove it to their coaches in college, prove it to their family, prove it to themselves, and it shows. You know, they want it. They're almost like as if they're teenagers, even if they're twenty two or twenty one when they're leaving school. So it just, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting combination. But so many Americans, which is great to see. And another thing that was really stood out to me about Angelina Kalanina is that she kept talking about how grateful she was to the Americans in the USTA Pro Circuit for making these tournaments because she's won eight of her 10 ITFs in America. And that <laughs> kind of system doesn't really work as well in, in Europe. And I can see the difference now between when I played 15 years ago, how many tournaments there are, these big tournaments back to back to back to back, giving these people, these players opportunities. It's, it's honestly really cool. Yeah, I'm looking through the draw now. I think there's three players in it ranked outside the top 500, and that's a testament to the strength of the draw at this 100K. You talk about all of the Americans competing. Uh, the other aspect, we saw a couple of young Americans taking first-round losses. Uh, Kayla Day lost to Shelby Rogers, 3-2. and two. Katie Volleymats, 2-2, uh, two and 2, two Ponche. Uh, what did you see from those young Americans who continue to work their way up? I feel like there are so many promising young Americans. Obviously, 
the most notable of the groups, Sophia Kennan, the 21-year-old who just won the Australian Open. But this week in Lexington, we get the chance to see players like Cece Bellis, who's still working her way back from injury, had a big Australian Open. Uh, we also have, I believe, Whitney Osigwe, as you mentioned, Caroline Dalahide coming down here, uh, Claire Liu as well. But from the two you got to see, Volley Nets and Kayla Day, uh, just another two names to add to the list of promising up-and-comers. Yeah, I didn't see the Volley Nets match, uh, but Jessica Ponche was playing some great tennis. Clearly, she got a set off McNally, so that's you know it's it's at least she qualified. That's that's a good that's a good effort. And then Kayla Day, tough draw, losing first round to the defending champion. But I watched that match, and you know it it looked at least the first six games like maybe she was gonna get the upset because they were playing kind of similar game styles, big shots, big forehands, and you know both very aggressive. So I think Kayla Day is on her way back up because I think she was ranked a lot higher a few years ago than she is right now. And obviously she had a bit of a breakthrough year in, what, 2016 at this point. So I think she's on her way back up. All right. I'll t- I I look forward to seeing. Uh, I think she's in the qualifying draw. Uh, I believe so. I think. Let me look here at this draw. Yeah, she is playing Elizabeth Halbauer in her first match. The winner of that match playing the winner of Katherine Harrison uh, and Katie Valinet. So loaded qualifying draw already here. Looks like, uh, it looks like in the draw that I'm seeing that Kayla Day has lost first round. But it was a 10-7 deciding tiebreaker, which I didn't even know that they were doing in qualifying till Midland, that they were going to be ending these matches with tiebreakers, super tiebreakers. Um, but Volley Nets is through, so yeah, they would have played each other. Instead, it's going to be Volley Nets against Elizabeth Hallbauer. All right, well, still, that'll be a fun one as well, and so looking forward to seeing it. I think Elizabeth Hallbauer, under 23 years old as well, still qualifies as a young American, certainly. Um, but so I guess then my final question about Midland, and then I, I do want to talk uh, a little bit about a couple more things, but uh, your takeaway, again, for fans who may be in the Kentucky area close to this Kentucky Open, your pitch for them to come out to these 100Ks, it sounds like you know with the crowd rocking in Midland, it was a fantastic event. Yeah, I don't know what your crowd is like in Kentucky, but definitely in Midland, it is a rock star experience for the players. I mean, there is, it's a show. They're putting on entertainment and announcing the players like they're at the U.S. Open in Arthur Ashe Stadium. I mean, they take it so seriously. And then the player field, I think in Kentucky, is a little bit stronger than it was in Midland. We lost some players the last few days. We lost Jessica Pagula, and we didn't have um, Whitney Osegue. And then you also have Marie Buzkova. Probably butchering that. But no, no, I got that right. Okay, yeah. So I, I think that if people are near Kentucky and they want to see some top level tennis, I'm pretty sure it's going to cost them either nothing or a few dollars, like in Midland. It's so worth it because these are players that are either former top 20 players like Wickmeyer or on their way back up to the top 50 like Shelby and Madison Brangle, or they're going to be the next future superstars like Susie Bellis and Whitney Osigwe. I mean, you don't want to miss this. Yeah, just from top to bottom, really great tennis, as you mentioned, the level incredibly high. I think 
you know, again here we'll probably have maybe one, maybe two players ranked outside the top 400 in this event. It speaks to uh, how difficult it is to get into all of these events and the, the depth right now in particular because we see so many Americans at these events in American women's tennis. Uh, speaking of American women's tennis, the big results for them this past weekend in Fed Cup. They take a dramatic doubles rubber uh, to clinch a 3-2 win over Yelena Ostapenko and Team Latvia. Uh, for, you know, unfortunately, I did not get to watch this live. I was caught in Chicago, but I do want to talk about it a little bit because I've seen the replay since. Uh, let's start with the singles. For Kennan uh, to play this weekend after Australia, so recent, I mean, did you expect it to be a Kennan-Serena lineup? Did you expect that we get to see both? And, you know, how shocking was it to you, the fact that they went 0-2 in rubbers 3-4? and 4? It was surprising to see her so quickly but again is this not uh you know an olympic year i think there's special rules where they have to play fed cup which explains i mean as much as i'm happy that everyone wanted to play fed cup it does explain a little bit why the the, the team was so strong you got serena williams sophia kennan allison risk and then they they, they put coco Goff as well uh she didn't get any playing time but she got to be part of i think what will be a weekend of she'll remember forever but, yeah, Cannon coming in and winning a match, winning her first opening match, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is someone that just won the Australian Open. She takes things so seriously. Fed Cup to her is so important. I remember watching her in the Fed Cup final in 2018, losing both her matches to the Czech Republic and being heartbroken, getting her first win uh, the following tie in the spring in 2019. It meant so much to her. So I'm not surprised. But I was shocked a little bit the next day when they both lost. You kind of think, well... You know, maybe if, if one of them loses, the other one will step up. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've never been actually been part of a Fed Cup or seen a Fed Cup tie in the in the flesh. But I assume that when one would lose, the other one might decide to pull it out. But, you know, didn't quite work out that way. And then, I mean, Serena did lose in a very dramatic match in her defense. No, I mean. In the third. I mean, that, you know, she definitely had her had her chances, I'm sure. Yeah, she lost two breakers as well. And then so when it was two all, the decision coming, I think we all knew we were going to get to see Bethany Maddox-Sands in the doubles. But shocking, because Coco Goff has had some success already in her young career in doubles with Katie McNally. So wouldn't have been a terrible option. Obviously, Serena, tons of success uh, as a doubles player as well, on top of everything she's just done in her career. Ken and Maddox-Sands played together recently. Maybe that was the reason. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but so I, I mean, did it surprise you to see that it was Kenan Maddox Sands at the end? I wouldn't. I agree with you because I was going to say I don't know if I was surprised, but given how many matches Kenan has played of late, and I mean, she talked about how exhausted she was. It was you know shocking. I guess probably she's thankful they got it done in the fashion that they did. But six four six zero was not what I was expecting. Oh no, I feel like shoving in Coco Goff to her Fed Cup debut at a two all rubber at home. Would have been just savage. Bold. Savage. Yeah, bold. And then, as far as I know, Allison Risk does not have the doubles resume that compares to her singles resume. I think Kennan probably had a few hours here to recover because she played her first singles match. She's in great shape. As far as I know, she had no big injuries coming from the Australian Open. And then they played together recently. But it was it was surprising that it was 4-0 because Ostapenko is an incredible doubles player. So it, it worked out really well for Team USA, but a risky, risky way it went down for sure. 
Yeah, Ostapenko recently won a mixed doubles Grand Slam title, correct? Or if not, made a final. Yeah, I mean, she's a established doubles champion. She's won titles. Yeah, I can imagine few scarier things than that forehand coming at you down the line. Well, it was uh, definitely a dramatic weekend for Coco Goff. You're right, uh, the, the idea of her playing that first Fed Cup rubber in front of that crowd to all, that would have been a lot to handle for the young American. Uh, but still, I, I'm curious just your thoughts as a spectator, as a fan. We, for, on the ATP side, got to see the new Davis Cup format all at once, ATP Cup all at once. Here with this Fed Cup, it's more traditional, more spread out, uh, you know, now that we've gotten to experience both formats in a relatively short time period, you know, what were your thoughts going back to the old Fed Cup five, five rubber fashion? I'm definitely more into this format that we have right now. I think cramming it into two days, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's a little bit easier to digest. The men's, I thought the finals was hard to watch in Madrid. I was it was just a lot. It was overwhelming. Too many things going on. All those crazy late night matches. That was just chaos. I mean, Team USA playing at like 3 a.m. didn't make any sense to me. And what ended up being a dead rubber against Italy. I mean, why? Why would we go through that? I don't want to watch that. So, so uh, And then I'm a little worried here about Fed Cup because they're going to do something very similar in Budapest. They're going to have their grand finals going on. Uh, and, yeah, I just I think there's room for improvement. I think shortening... The amount of tennis played makes sense. Shortening the matches, not best of five, makes sense. But putting everyone in the same location and playing a whole week of of Davis Cup or Fed Cup, it just kind of seems a little bit, I don't know, hard to watch, hard to pay attention to, hard to care. No, I. the word, and we can swear here because we're no longer live, it's a bit of a cluster, right? It just, it really is. It's overwhelming. There's so much going on so, uh, so fast, and... I do agree with you. It did feel nice to slow things down. One weekend, I only had to focus on one matchup, uh, and it was great because we got to see so much. Elena Ostapenko playing so well, Sevastova playing so well. Uh, it really was, you know, it, it you could still feel the urgency, you know, just as much so as you did with those back to back to back to back to back ATP Cup and then Davis Cup matches. So. It was just interesting for me, to, the contrast in styles. It was nice to uh, be able to have a chance to compare the two. Uh, all right, with that in mind, I know you have been busy, uh, so I do want to give you one last chance, though. You mentioned Jamie Loeb, uh, Katie McNally, up and coming on the podcast. For our listeners, can you give them a little bit of, sneak, of a sneak peek and then uh, you know, just remind them where they can find it all? Oh, absolutely. Jamie Loeb is coming out on Tuesday. February 11th, and she sat down with us for about half an hour, and she talks so candidly about her 2019 struggles. You know, she fell out of the top, I think, 350 or so. She's an awesome, awesome speaker, goes through her whole college career, her pro success, her pro struggles, Jermaine Jenkins, and her obsession with Cardi B. It's wild. And then the following week, also on Tuesdays, because we now uh, publish on Tuesdays, it's going to be Katie McNally, Joined, this is February 18th, joined by her coach, Kevin O'Neill. And we also talked with Irina Falcone, of course. So uh, the four of us are in that episode. And Katie, I mean, talks about TikTok a lot. And Coco Goff, of course. So it's it's a great couple episodes coming up. And I'm excited because, you know, I got to maximize my time in Midland and kind of do it all. And, yeah, the Tennis.com podcast is part of the Tennis Channel Network, just like you. You can find us on every Every app you listen to podcasts on, Spotify, Podbean, 
iHeartRadio, Pandora, and of course, Apple. <laughs> Perfect. I don't even have to plug this podcast now. You got it out of the way for us. And yeah, I haven't had the chance to sit down and talk to Katie McNally and Jamie Lowe before. I know those are two guests uh, we loved having here at Crack Racket, so I promise, listeners, you will enjoy them as well. Uh, the podcast, Tennis.com podcast, our lovely guest, Nina Pantage. Thank you so much. Uh, don't be a stranger throughout this 2020 season. Let's try and make a habit of this. I think we should. I'd love to. Yeah, awesome. Well, take care and thank you again. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nina Pantich that will get you prepared for this week's Kentucky Open. And again, we are so excited to be there all weekend long. If you want to follow our work while we are there, be sure on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, to follow us at Crack Rackets for the immediate, more immediate. You want to follow my personal thoughts. I'm trying to social media more. Dalton has explained to me why it's important. Uh, I you know, on top of these podcasts. I have thoughts during the day as well that I think some of you may enjoy, so go follow not just at Crack Rackets, but at Great Shot Pod as well. Some of you may also be aware we recently launched our Patreon at Crack Rackets. Maybe you heard Super Producer Daniel Westoff whisper it there in the background. Uh, I feel you heard his laughter there as well. Uh, that Patreon, our way of, you know, asking you listeners, we are trying to get to more of these sites, be in person to provide better in-depth coverage. Uh, if you like the work we did at the indoors this weekend, if you're a fan of what we're doing in Kentucky, in Columbus, over these next up-and-coming weeks, and of course in Madison for the men next weekend, uh, D1, we ask that you please go check that Patreon out now. You know, we wouldn't just ask you to pay us money and not give you something special. So you want to hear things like <laughs> all of those fun swearing, uncensored. Uh, that's the sort of content you can get. Written work as well. Uh, early releases, video content, uh, new stuff coming on the horizon as well. So we do ask, please go give that a look at the at the most. And if you sign up now, I believe there's a free mug involved in it as well. Dalton really pulling out all the stops, uh, so shout out to him, and please uh, go give that a look. Of course, I also have to shout out our friends at Diadem, their string, their racket technology. We are so excited to be partnering with them. You use our promo code CR50, 50% off all of your order, uh, all of your purchases when you go, and we promise you will enjoy uh, their rackets. Also, our friends at Aerobar. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times this weekend I was down and out. I was ready to just take a nap during one of these one singles matches. I thought to myself, you know what, Alex? Uh, I don't think it's going to come down to court one. Maybe if I snooze off, no one will notice. And then I would see a beautiful arrow bar sitting in front of me and saying, Alex, you need some energy. You want uh, the good stuff. None of that you know, gross you know, tennis-specific energy so that you're locked in on tennis. Arrow bar is the product for you. And it, and it did wonders for me. Enjoyed it. You know, We had nine to nine days over the past three days. Uh, and it worked. I could always chew on that arrow bar, give me the energy boost I needed. Imagine what it can do for you as a tennis player. You use our promo code now, CRACKED30, that's C-R-A-C-K-E-D-3-0, 30% off your first order of arrow bar. So go give that a look, and thank you to them for helping to facilitate uh, these mini-break podcasts, making it possible for us to do them every day. Again, we will be live in Kentucky throughout the week. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at 
Cracked Rackets. This podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Going to be rocking and rolling all week long with our interviews on site with our National Indoor Preview Podcast as well. I'll also have a fun interview with Wisconsin coach, the host of the men's indoors, uh, Danny Westerman, on the horizon. So be sure to give that a listen when it's released. Uh, really fun times here at Cracked Rackets. And, of course, I haven't gotten to do this in a while, but you know the people who are really having fun? Our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always. Ooh, I almost forgot one more thing. We really enjoyed uh, the reception, the feedback we got for our free gear giveaway and our friends at Aerobar. Uh, making that possible for us once again, they got signed gear from John Isner and Steve Johnson this time. If you want to enter yourself for a chance to win those sort of free shirts, perfect for a birthday gift for a friend, perfect uh, for your own wearing purposes. Maybe you're an Isner and a Johnson guy. You love top-notch management. Our friend Sam Duvall, you're like, hey, they got it going on there. I want to represent their players. Uh, we can get yourself signed up for this shirt. You go to our podcast feeds, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you're listening to them. You leave a five-star rating. Leave a little review explaining why you're doing this. You know, I'm doing this because, A, I heard Westoff's laugh in the background, and it was so captivating. I want to get him on more podcasts, so I'm leaving this review. But also, I'd like to be signed up for that Isner Johnson shirt giveaway. You can do that now for each review you leave across our different podcast platforms. Your name will be entered into our raffle one time. I want you to know, Hudson Hatfield right now, again, minus 500 favorite to win. The guy comes through in all of these contests, so uh, he's the man to beat, listeners. So get your review up there there now uh, before him but oh and the deadline of course for that contest February 18th so do that uh, before your time runs out but one last time for our lovely guest tonight Nina Pantich whose podcast at tennis.com podcast you can find wherever you listen to your podcast our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff our friends at both Diadem and Aerobar and from all of us here at Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say that's the break. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.